Eli Manning, you and the New York Giants just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do next? I'm going to Disney World. Like all you lovely folks, I've got a dream. Have faith in your dreams, and someday your rainbow will come smiling. No matter how your heart is grieving, if you keep on. And welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 260 for the week of February 5th, 2012. I'll open up the inbox this week and answer more of your Walt Disney World vacation planning and trivia questions, including the Royal Rooms at Port Orleans, the Fantasmic Dinner Package, the Adventureland Veranda Restaurant, Walt Disney Biography Movie, Old Walt Disney World Radio Stations, Dining Plan for Breakfast, the Disney Cruise Line, and of course, Dining at Disney. I'll have more information about our WDW Radio 5th Anniversary Celebration taking place this Saturday, February 11th, both online and at Walt Disney World, before I play more of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. my goals with WDW Radio has always been to not only share information and interview and content with you, but to make you a part of the show. And I've said since the very first episode that I don't want this to be a one-way conversation, but instead as much two-way as possible. I want to make you feel as though that you're sitting around the table with some friends listening to and talking about Walt Disney World. And even more so, I want to hear from you. I love getting your questions, whether it's about vacation planning or obscure Walt Disney World trivia, whatever it might be to make you an integral part of the show. And once again this week, it's time to open up the inbox. And when I do so, normally I have sitting by my side, virtually, but today here in person at the, by the contem- in the shadow of the monorail, here at the Outer Rim Lounge at Disney's Contemporary Resort, in the shadows also of the beautiful Mary Blair mural, 
is, of course, Becky Mankin. She is the owner of MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. Becky, welcome back. Well, it's great to actually do this in person because normally I'm in the satellite office in Snoqualmie, Washington. <laughs> is that what, is that's the official WW Radio satellite studio? Pretty much, yeah. That's that's kind of what I'm uh, what I'm going for there. Well, it is great to do it in person, too, and I love, again, I, I like picking this place because there is something about having that monorail passing overhead that even having been here hundreds and hundreds of times, it still sort of uh, evokes nostalgic memories of being here as a kid, and there's just something really cool about a monorail going through a hotel. And, of course, having a monorail as a scenery and a, a green beverage also helps as well. Yeah, you're really at home here, not because it's the monorail and Mary Blair and all the history of the Grand Canyon Concourse, but because you have a sunken treasure and you're sitting in a bar. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. I, I'll, I will own that one. I will definitely own that one. All right, but listen, we have so many emails we've got to get to, and I'm so grateful to all the people who have sent in and been very patient waiting for their emails to be answered. Let's uh, crack open the inbox and get right to it. And the first question comes from... Lieutenant Corporal Tucker, who says, Hey, Lou, my wife and I have been listening to the show for a few months now and love it. And we were wondering what you thought about Port Orleans Riverside Resort and the Royal Rooms that are currently being built or opening soon. The last two times we visited was in 2009 and 2010. Both times we stayed in the Wilderness Lodge and had a great time. We've booked our vacation for October 2012 at Port Orleans Riverside at the Royal Room. He says, through Mouse Fan, thanks to you and your show, for something different. We are from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and prefer not to have a beach-themed resort. My wife is a teacher, and I'm a police officer, which I've heard that the Swan and Dolphin Resorts give a discount to, but we didn't choose them due to the hopes of the dining plan. Any words of advice or suggestions would be very much appreciated. Well, uh, first... Um yes? <laughs> Well, first, let's talk about uh, your choice of resort. We've talked about uh, Port Orleans is my favorite of the moderate-class resorts. Certainly with the new Royal Rooms, which are opening, it really adds a whole other level uh, to your Disney vacation. Becky, you know, we're very big proponents, obviously, of staying on property. We sort of feel that that magic begins when you hit Magical Express and then you get to your room. And even more so with the themed resorts, especially the Royal Rooms, which we had a chance to see preview rooms uh, you know, a year or so ago. Those are going to be really special because they're not just themed like the Pirate Rooms or the Nemo Rooms, but there is, it sort of makes it kind of a moderate plus. It was incredible. I remember when we first walked into that room to the uh, one that they had on display to show us what it was going to be like. The room was so, the colors were so rich. It was, it felt a little more opulent than we had uh, seen in, in moderate resorts before. It really is a great experience. And of course, you're looking for that little Disney extra magic that are thrown, that's thrown in. And the Royal Rooms definitely offer that because it has the little story that goes along with it as well. But of course, I have to throw in there. Thanks for booking with us. It, it's a, it's really cool. Thank you. Um, but one of the things I know that, that he's hoping for is for the, the dining plan. Most likely, he's probably talking about the addition of the dining plan, the free dining plan, which, of course, happens normally during that time period. Now, of course, I am going to emphasize these words like if and possible and so on, because if Disney history repeats itself free dining may show up again for October 2012, but there are never any guarantees. But of course, because if you when you book through um, many of the companies, not just us, but 
again, thank you for booking with us. But it, many of the travel, or the Disney specialty companies will apply the code free of charge and get you those um, those discounts as they come out. So I'm sure that uh, you may get, if not free dining, there's probably going to be another offer that comes out for during that time period. But you're looking at all of the um, the comparisons. I don't think you're going to go wrong with the Royal Room because you're going to get a little of everything. You're going to get the Disney magic, being on property, and that really is a special experience. Yeah, and this idea of these storybook rooms actually goes back a couple years to 2009 when Caribbean Beach started with the pirate themed rooms, and they were very, very well received. Again, they also started having uh, Nemo-themed rooms. Of course, with the Disney's Art of Animation Resort, that entire resort is going to be themed towards those Disney films, but you mentioned the idea of the story, and this is what I love about what Disney and Imagineering are doing, is they are putting their fingerprint all over this. They are putting their touches on by having a backstory, like there's a backstory to everything else that you see, and the story behind the royal rooms is that Princess Tiana, obviously from Princess and the Frog, invited some of her royal friends for a little little vacation, a little girls getaway, and guys getaway, and I mean separate <laughs> rooms with the girls and guys getaway, uh, so Belle and Jasmine and some of the other princesses brought along a few of their treasures with them because that's how they roll, that's how they need to travel. And so you'll find um, a bench sort of in the shape of Sultan the Dog from Aladdin, um, the, the a bench from Beauty and the Beast, uh, Fawcett, I'm sorry, the, I think the bench is shaped like something from, the, the, from Beauty and the Beast, the dog from Beauty and the Beast, and the faucets are shaped like Aladdin's lamp, that's what it was. Um, and obviously Port Orleans fits in perfectly because Princess and the Frog set in New Orleans and we've talked about this on newscasts and the shows before. I'm hoping, and I guess d- depending on how well these are received, that this is a trend that we're going to start seeing. We've sort of speculated, played Imagineer for a day, and wondered about things like a haunted mansion-themed room, attraction-themed room, <laughs> continuing on with some of the films as well. And again, these rooms are a little more lavish, a little more opulent, and I really like what they've got done there. Right, and it all started with the pirate rooms that started over at the Caribbean Beach, and those were so well-received, and they've been so uh, hard to get because everybody loves to book those rooms now that I'm hoping that we'll see that same type of storytelling go out through other resorts across property. And without spoiling the forum, for those people who are going to be staying there, uh, including uh, Officer Tucker, when he walks in, there's going to be a few surprises there as well, too. Uh, things that you can see, things you can touch, things you can hear as well. I'm being ni- I am being nice because I want to get them excited because of what it's sort of another, again, it's that layer of the onion that we talk about. When we talk about the theme parks. Again, I think you're going to start to see it in the rooms as well. There's going to be 512 of the new Royal Rooms. So unlike the Pirate Rooms, where there was relatively few, there's going to be a lot. So um, supply and demand seems to have already started to dictate that they've transformed a lot of rooms there. Uh, I would love to hear what your thoughts are after you've had a chance to stay there or anybody else who's had a chance to stay in the Royal Rooms. <clears throat> Excuse me. Your thoughts of it <clears throat> as well. Uh, Hector Leon Cartagena, and I'm sure I butchered his last name, <laughs> says, Hey, Lou, I was wondering about the Fantasmic Dining Package, if that's an advantage. I know that you get designated seating. You also get to enter about 30 minutes before everyone else. However, I listened to a podcast that mentions the seating doesn't have necessarily the best views, and I'd love to know your perspective on this. Is it worth it, or should I just wait in line? Becky, uh, before I give my opinion, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. By the way, Fantasmic is that big show at the end of Hollywood Studios. (laughs) Okay, hold on. I have debated this with many people because... 
personally, it's really a personal preference. For me, it's, it's waiting in line versus being off-center and off to the side. Because if you're stage left, that's usually where the area is. Or if you're looking at the stage on the right-hand side of the stage is where they usually seat you for the dining packages. And I personally am fine with the view. While it's not direct center, you might miss some of the stuff on the side. It's nothing that's going to take away from the show, in my opinion. I personally would like to go enjoy a meal leisurely go to the place where I get to get into the line for the dining packages to be seated, walk in casually, enjoy my time in the park, and then enjoy the show. There are others who believe that the seating isn't worth it, just stand in line, but personally, again, personal preference, I prefer to not wait in line for an hour or an hour and a half or sometimes two hours when it's a little heavier to have a seat. I would much rather go the dining package And if you can quickly explain how this package works, there are a number of different packages where if you choose to dine at some place like the Brown Derby or Hollywood and Vine, sit-down restaurants, uh, you can pay a premium uh, flat rate price, and that will give you admission, that sort of guaranteed admission to Fantasmic without having to wait on the general line. Uh, I think the question really goes into how good of a value is it? You know, dollar for dollar doesn't make sense, and I guess that's how you have to weigh is that additional premium on that meal worth it for you? And again, I think that is to a certain degree uh, a personal preference. And I think, Becky, it's less about where you're sitting because, again, to a certain degree, there is no bad seat in the house. Uh, I've also gone to Fantasmic without having to wait in that two-hour line. Sometimes getting there late doesn't necessarily hurt either. Either uh, My son, like, he loves Fantasmic. He loves to sit in the front row, and they're sort of in that splash zone. And he gets up there, and he's conducting and doing his thing. And sometimes you can get those front row seats because you may get a little wet uh, without having to wait in such a long line. But I think you're right. I think for that convenience factor for a lot of people, they do like not having that pressure of, oh, my God, if it's, especially if it's a busy time of year, if it's Christmas time or summertime, that line has already started to queue up an hour and a half early. Yeah, that's so true. And, again, even... The, the show is a very massive show. It's not like everything is going to center like if you're watching a, a, a theater production. They do kind of cater to all angles of the show. So, again, it just comes down to personal preference. Yeah, and, you know, look, the only thing about being off to the side is that sometimes the music might not line up uh, depending on the lighting and the movement of the characters. But just to give an example, so for places like Malma Melrose's your fixed price for an adult is thirty two ninety nine. For kids, is eleven ninety nine. Three to ages three to nine. Hollywood and Vine is twenty six ninety nine. Thirteen ninety nine for kids and adult. Um, you can use your Magic Your Way dining plan there. Um, if you if you also can get that if you have the Magic Your Way Premium or the Platinum package as well too. But you also need to understand that these seats are not reserved seats. Um, that's not what what the package is. It's it's just. A special section without having to wait into the in the general line. Right, and again, what you do is when you have your your meal, which by the way, just to, to throw out something, it, there is a lunch ability and there's also dinner. But the dinner is going to be kind of early because they want you to be able to queue up in time to make it to the show. So it's um, it's very convenient. It doesn't cost anything additional. Again, it's just the the menus that are available at the different locations. Which there are several locations or there are several resources that allow you to look at the different menus, but it, to me, again, it's value or price versus time, depending on what you find most valuable to you. I would rather 
spend that time in queue for Tower of Terror and then ride a ride and then go to my um, uh, to the, the seat. And, and there's no wrong answer because, right. again, people are divided. Some people like it. Some people don't think it's worth it. So it really is your personal preference. Um, they also have new options now, too, where you can sort of get those picnic uh, sort of those picnic meals from Min and Bill's Dockside Donner, a much less uh, a much smaller entry point if you sort of want to eat while you're there. Uh, again, and having some of that uh, reserve seating as well, without having to go for the full sit-down menu. Yeah, and that looks like it's going to be a very popular choice. It, uh, from what I understand, that's a test to see how it's going to be responded to. It works really well in um, in California Adventure out on the West Coast because they do those for World of Color. So it's kind of neat to see that they're playing with it to see what is going to be popular. And we've talked about this on the newscast before. They've got some great menu options as well, too. We're not talking about just chicken nuggets and burgers and hot dogs. Asian-inspired dishes and fish and salmon, things like that. So uh, that's another option, too, to consider as well. I would, again, love to hear people weigh in on your thoughts or comments or even rec- recommendations or tips about how you enjoy it or how you think the, the fantastic dining package should be used. So uh, Doug from Central Pennsylvania, if I can, if he's from Transylvania. No, he's from Pennsylvania. He says, greetings, Lou and Becky, exclamation point. In 2012, my extended family is taking our first trip on the Disney Dream Aww. to celebrate my folks' 50th wedding anniversary. That's awesome. God bless. While I'm obsessing about Castaway Key, the shows, and the aqueduct, as you should be, my lovely wife is focused on one thing. Shopping. No, she's she is a night owl, and she's concerned about the early departures from the boat. Don't dis, don't dust this one with pixie sparkles. He says in bold, "How rough is it getting off the boat on the last day of the cruise?" Thanks for all you do, and that's Doug from Geek Acres. I'm going to let you answer this, but I'm going to answer: How rough is it getting off the boat on the last day? Whether you got off the boat at six o'clock in the morning or eleven o'clock at night. <laughs> It's awful because you're getting off the Disney dream. So unless you're going to Walt Disney World by helicopter, um, it's always bad when you have to finally get off the ship. But as far as the process itself, Becky, what do you, we've just we got off the Disney dream actually three twice last year. <laughs> exactly, a couple of times or, or three. But one thing I want to also throw out is that on the Disney dream. The different ports of call dictate what time you can get off the ship and so forth. So we're, we're specifically talking to Port Canaveral at this point. And they, the process, it, when you compare it to other cruise lines, if you've ever cruised before, is very smooth. It is a very smooth process. You basically get up, you pack your bags, or your bags are already packed. But you pick up your bags, you go down to breakfast, and you depart the ship. So if you have, here's the key, if you have main dining at night, you're going to have an early breakfast. It might be a little bit early. It's um, going to run about 6.30 to 6.45 to go to breakfast. So, yeah, that can be a little on the early side. If you have late dining, then you can um, uh, go about an hour later. So the times are variable. They do change depending on the sailing, etc. But they ask everyone to be out of their staterooms by 8 o'clock so they can get the ship ready for the guests and they're asking everybody to clear the ship by 9 a.m. So if you happen to have main dining, you don't want to do that 6.30 a.m. breakfast start. You can also go up to the Cove Cafe and grab coffee and pastries and so forth. But they're going to ask everyone to disembark by 9. And yeah, if you're a late night person, said, yeah, okay, I'm a late night person. That's a rough day because you got to get up. You got to get yourself together. You've got to get off the ship. You got to go through customs and then you got to find your transportation. But all in all, 
when compared to other cruise lines and other ports of call, this really is a, a very smooth process. Doug, I got two words for you. All-nighter. No. <laughs> what I would suggest, uh, the back suggestions I, I would make right, is, is to book a back-to-back cruise and just never get off. <laughs> I think, I agree, I think the process is very fluid. Um, you may go down to the atrium and it may look like there's a ton of people waiting to go off the ship at the same time, but once oh, those doors open, it is very smooth. <clears throat> Getting your bags through customs, also a very smooth process. They have a, a huge terminal in there where you can sort of get your bags and get out pretty quickly. What I would suggest is one of two things. Either get there very early or let that mad rush of people that's waiting for the door to open get through. You can relax a little bit. You can sort of take some time, have breakfast. Even if you are on main dining, I'm sure it wouldn't be too awful if you waited a little longer and sort of sauntered through and had a little bit of a a later breakfast while you wait for the ship to clear a little bit. Something that we did, and you may want to think about too, is the night before getting some cereal bananas, bars, whatever it may be. So you have them in in your room. And this way, if you want to sort of get yourself ready and not have to worry about rushing down to breakfast, especially if you have kids, you can give them something to eat without having to worry about wait online and then sort of make your way off the ship. But again, you're right, by 8 o'clock, you you do need to get off. But I wouldn't worry too much about being at breakfast at 6.15. Right. And another thing, too, that a lot of people don't realize is you might look down in the atrium and everything might look like it's totally stopped. But what's actually happening is as they let off a certain number of people into the terminal, they will stop people from leaving the ship because they want those people to clear so it's not one big line. So the moment that they open up to the next group group to go, it goes really fast. So don't. it's a little deceiving when you see the big long lines of people. It does go relatively quickly. And when you get in there and see this sea of baggage in there, <laughs> don't get nervous either because they do a great job with sort of having the different characters on the tags. There's little sections where you'll go and you'll find your luggage and you get off and get through customs very, very quickly. My best advice for that really is if you're leaving to go to uh, the airport that day, make sure that your flight is, say, after 1 p.m. so that you've got plenty of time, so that you've got that disembarkation process is, is nice and relaxed, so you're not in a hurry or stressed thinking you might uh, miss your flight. Just make your flight for after 1 o'clock, go slowly, enjoy the, the breakfast in the morning, and then go through the process. But again, yeah, that early morning stuff... Like you said, grab some stuff, have it in the room. The best, forget the flight. The best advice, dog, is to maybe book a day or two at Walt Disney with a little land and sea action. <clears throat> so you've got the excitement of the cruise, you've done the aqueduct, you've vacationed with your family, and now maybe you want to take a couple of days in the parks or at your res- You don't have to even go to the parks. Just sort of relaxing into a little vacation after the vacation, and then you can sort of make your way home. So uh, Mike writes in and says, Hey, Lou, love the show. An old college program alum. I have a couple of questions that have been bothering me for a few years. And I thought you might be the guy to shed some light on them. I hope I don't disappoint. One of my two semesters there, I worked as a custodian in Adventureland and Frontierland. When I worked there, the cast members came up from the Utilidors into the alcove just past the Dole stand. And he says it's the stickiest trash cans by far. On the right, past the Dole stand, is a large terrace. And what it looks like, it used to be a queue line for something. Also, there was an area that at the time was a smoking area with another shaded terrace right next to the Dole Whip stand. So sort of picture this in your mind eye if you're looking at Aloha Isle. I think you saw them at the area to the right. These two vacant areas combined with the trees on the waterway just over the bridge on the right always had me theorizing that this was an attraction that was planned and never came to fruition. Was there ever anything that might count as an attraction? Were there ever any plans to have an attraction there? 
Also, while I was working there, I saw some utilities, gas and electric, in the process of getting installed in the backstage area between pirates and where the 3 o'clock parade assembles at the parade buildings. Were there any juicy rumors out there of an attraction to fill the space between those areas? Or maybe they were just prospecting. Thanks again for the great podcast, Mike. So, Mike, um, I have some good news and I've got some bad news. Well, no, it's all good news because you asked if there was ever anything there that might count as an attraction. And to that, I say yes, because food is, of course, an attraction (laughs) in Walt Disney World. And the area that I think that you're referring to, just past the Adventureland Bridge as you're coming from the hub on that right-hand side, was the old home of the Adventureland Veranda. That entrance was directly across from Bawana Bob's. Um, uh, that was the Adventureland Veranda. You can sort of see that red uh, tiled roof there. And it does look as though it has a very sort of exotic feel to it. Um, it's actually one of the few buildings, Becky, that's built f- full size. It does not use forced perspective for a variety of reasons normally to hide something behind it, like Liberty Square. But it actually opened with Walt Disney World in 1971. Uh, It was a dining location that had hot sandwiches, uh, chicken, things like that. When Kiko Man took over in 1977, the soy sauce people, they they created an interesting menu that had a lot of things like teriyaki hamburgers with pineapple rings. They had French fries with raisins on the side. Sweet and sour hot dogs, some other, <clears throat> excuse me, Asian-inspired dishes. They had stir fry there as well, and it really had sort of a very Polynesian-themed feel to it. It closed in 1994. It opened for a little while in the late 90s when Pecos Bills closed for refurbishment, um, but did not have that old-style Polynesian menu. For some time, they did use that exterior queue area as a meet and greet for a number of characters. Rafiki was out there for a while. Some other jungle, um, some other Lion King characters were out there. Uh, I think some Jungle Book characters were out there as well. The area inside for a small time in 2010 was used as a counter service location. That was a test period for a while. Uh, it was great to go back in there because those brass fixtures and that deep mahogany wood was in there as well. They've also used it during the Halloween party as a Captain Jack Sparrow meet and greet. And currently, that area is used as sort of the, the replacement for Pixie Hollow. It's where uh, Tinkerbell and her fairy friends have a meet-and-greet location in there as well. Uh, you know it always saddens me, Becky Menken, when a, uh, a dining establishment goes away, especially one like that, uh, which had such a very unique menu, but uh, that space is still being utilized. And so, Mike, the other part, portion of your question, you were asking about a space located in between Pirates of the Caribbean and where you said the 3 o'clock parade assembles by the parade buildings, that's actually that fenced-off area just to the left of Splash Mountain. So the area that I think that you're talking about, based on when you were working there, was actually not meant for an attraction because right behind there is the Walt Disney World Railroad track. So there's not, it's not a very deep space back there. But what they were probably laying the utilities for and the groundwork for at the time was the Golden Oak Outpost. As long as we're staying with dining locations... The Golden Oak Outpost replaced the location of the old McDonald's fry cart. Very, very well-themed. Deep in story, which is another podcast for another time, because even in a quick-service counter location like that, Imagineers have created a great story tied to the Golden Oak Outpost. And uh, some, there's some great details right in front of you, Becky Mankin, that you probably never noticed. So, for example, do you know that outside seating area, what it's themed after, what it's meant to look like? I have no idea. If you look very carefully, instead of just putting out 
benches and tables out there. The Imagineers go to such great lengths to create a, a backstory to every location, everything that you see. And what they've done here is if you look very carefully, you'll see that it's a remnant of a building, uh, sort of a, an abandoned, sort of broken down building. And if you look into the center of that seating area, you'll find an old millstone. And you'll see that that building was actually an old mill much like the, the early Disney short that you have no idea what I'm talking about, but it was an old mill. And if you look in the pavement, if you look on the ground, you'll see uh, horseshoe prints from the mules or the donkeys that actually ground the millstone. I've learned something today. <laughs> and they've got tasty chicken sandwiches. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I just shake my head. I'm still focused on the fries. I can't help it. Just You said french I'm fries, just, I'm, and now I've got a craving. Do not... Do not mock what you do not understand. <laughs> a teriyaki burger with pineapple? That, I'm dick. Oh. don't go together. I, you know, seriously. I, I don't even know who you are anymore. I'm moving on to Gary Z's email because he said, Hey, Lou, love the show. Just download the Frontierland audio guide. Can't wait to hear it. And so, Becky, his question is this. What would you do? What would you suggest to do to remove those late last day blues that my family and I get when we're leaving Walt Disney World. Every year that we go, I try and convince myself that I'm not going to get depressed, but as that last day approaches, here we go. So I'm hoping that you can shed some Disney medicine that I can use. Thanks again for a great show. Say hello to Jim Corcus. I hope Triple T Top 10 Tim <laughs> says hello as well. Sent from the WW Trivia iPhone app, and that's awesome that, uh, from Gary Z. Gary, that's a great question. It almost, Becky, goes back to that last day of the cruise. It's, you know, everybody sort of has that you love getting here, you love your time here, but you can't help but think about, as you start counting down, it's two more sleeps, it's one more sleep, it's the last day. What do we do? What do you suggest to sort of help relieve those last day blues? I start planning the next trip. <laughs> that's, and, the right, that's the right answer. Yeah, it really is. And I, I start thinking about where I want to stay next or what I want to experience next that maybe I haven't done for a while. Um, I totally get this last day blues thing because tomorrow is going to be my last day for this trip. And I'm already kind of feeling that. But um, in the past with my family, I have planned a Disney breakfast for the last day. So you have that real big shot of, of Disney magic. And then talk about what we want to do next time. There's no worse feeling for me than that that walk of shame to the airport shuttle. That walk takes of you. shame? Well, yeah, away, <laughs> away. As you go to your plane, that's going to take you away from the most magical place on earth. But you know, thinking about the next trip and and the next time you're going to be here and the things that you missed or the things you want to see again, that's probably my best idea. You were supposed to say load up on podcasts. This way you can connect <laughs> with a little bit of Disney magic on your way home. But I had to leave that to you. I actually, uh, I, I agree with you, but I would actually take it one step further. And I think this is something that would be fun for Gary and for his family too. In that there is something about leaving, thinking about that next trip. And if you're able to, and of course you can't do it for everybody, but if there's a way that on your last day you do some sort of special meal and you sort of play it up it's our last day come on we gotta get going and then maybe you surprise them that day with the with information or that they're gonna have another trip that hey we're leaving today but don't worry we're gonna come back in October we're gonna go on a Disney cruise or hey let's do something to start planning our next trip already um, even more so give them maybe give them something give them a gift 
to thank them for having such a great time with you, for sharing and making those memories with you. So it's something you can all sort of take away from that trip or get a photo album, start putting photos in there. So you continue that trip on even beyond that last day. Uh, You keep those memories going and you keep involved and engaged together as a family. Right. And that was the other thing I was thinking about, too, is that the photo pass has such a great opportunity to build those photo books or to get the CDs. And that actually has a great opportunity to relive those memories. So make it a a plan to when you get back and you get settled, take a look at all your photos from the photo pass and put together a photo book, whether it's through the the Disney photo pass site or your own photos. You've got those memories and you can relive them when you get home. Yeah, and here too, uh, again, because I want to keep this two-way, I'm sure other people deal with this all the time, especially if you have kids, you have a family. How do you deal with, with that last day when you have to leave and start going home? What are your, some, some of your suggestions? Leave those in the comments for this week's show notes. So the next name, the next um, email comes from Mike Warinsky, And Mike, I apologize. It's Mike W., uh, who says, uh, Mike, I think, is, is a runner, and he says, hey, what would you suggest... For someone who wants to propose immediately following the finish line at a Disney half marathon or one of the Disney endurance events, needless to say, we'll be tired and exhausted, but is there any kind of a cool way to be whisked off following the half marathon or any other suggestions you might have other than immediately crashing back at the hotel? Thanks. Now, Mike, um, as someone who proposed once at Walt Disney World, and it did not, it was not to the woman I'm currently married to, although, of course, everything worked out well, blah, blah, blah. I'm probably not the best one to give advice on proposing in Walt Disney World. However, um, I I do have some suggestions because deep down I am a a hopeless romantic, and I think it's great that you're choosing that. Some places she would probably never suspect uh, that a proposal would be coming Certainly, you could try and arrange something either with a friend or a cast member to have somebody there at the finish line for you with a ring. Let them know. Let them track your progress. Let them know that you're coming. And then when you get there, you grab that ring from them. She gets her medal. You guys get your medals. You do the proposal there. Um, Here's uh, here's another potentially stupid idea. If you're not (laughs) running together, say you have a faster pace than she does. You You start together. You move forward. Say you finish early. You have somebody there to give you like a tuxedo jacket and a top hat and a monocle and a cane. Becky Mankin, I am single-handedly bringing back the cane and monocle and cape. I'm telling you, it's a look. That and my parachute pants are going to be coming back. Um, But, you know, you could do something like that so you can be down on one knee dressed like that. Or after the marathon's over, maybe you don't want to do it right there. If she, this was her first marathon, or she's a marathon runner, say, hey, I bought you a present. I bought you a new pair of running shoes. And here's this. Inside the running shoe box is a glass slipper. Oh. Oh. Really? How can I follow that? I, I can't even follow that. that that's actually an awesome idea. Or you even... You're looking at me so lovingly. Like no, it's like you, you actually... Like, wow, I would even date Lou Mangiello. <laughs> Well, we wouldn't go that far. But, you know, there are, that's actually a really, really good idea. And it's very romantic. And the glass zipper idea is, is wonderful. And if you had some sort of tie. Because when, when you're first reading this, I'm thinking, if he's carrying the ring, that could be bad. You know? Yeah. No. 13 miles with a ring attached to you somewhere is not a good idea. But if you had someone waiting for you, you time it right. There's a lot of good possibilities there. So the glass slipper idea is, is, is priceless. And I'd love to know, uh, Mike, what you eventually came up with. And more importantly, did she say yes? Um, moving on, Tim Smith says, Hey, Lou, 
I was wondering who... Here's an interesting question, Becky. I was wondering who you think could play or who you would want to play Walt Disney in a biographical film about his life. The creation of Disney Animation Studios, Wet Enterprises, Disneyland, and the covert land purchases of the Walt Disney World property. From a looks-only standpoint, I think Shia LaBeouf... LaBeouf... Shia could play the young Walt and Tom Hanks could play the elder Walt. What do you think? Now, I, I am not going... I think Tom Hanks is not a bad idea for uh, the older Walt, but I'm going to ask you first, and then I'm okay. going to completely not answer the question and ask the audience. Now, in a way, I could say that, of course, Johnny Depp could play anything, but that's not where I'm going. I actually... I actually James think, Mason? No. I'm thinking Edward Norton. I think it, from the honeymooners. From the honeymoon. No. Norton. Norton. <laughs> no. Ed Norton. I think he would be great. And you're really? like, you be like, no, I got. I know. I, I know. No, I know Norton. who Ed Norton is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. I, I, he's probably yeah. not. He's kept up and off the radar for a while too. Uh, I do not think Johnny Depp. I think Johnny Depp is is played everything else. Uh, I don't think Tonto should be. Um, Walt Disney, and I don't. And other than maybe a Tom Hanks, who um, he had suggested, I don't know that I have anybody off the top of my head. I'm sure there's probably an obvious choice that I haven't thought about, but this is certainly one where I would like to hear from the listeners who they think would or could or should. I mean, look, you know, playing Walt Disney is, uh, you know, to, to so many people, he is so iconic, he's so revered that there's probably not going to be a right choice that's going to satisfy everyone. Yeah, well, with him, I was thinking someone, he has a very thin face, he's, he's tall, he's got that stature, and so I was thinking that when you, when, in terms of casting. But So all the features that I do not possess, tall and thin face, that's why you didn't even... Should I... Can we just move on to the next question? Yeah, so again, <laughs> please comment in the show notes your thoughts about who should play a young and an old Walt Disney. I think there should be the, you know, Kansas City, Chicago Walt Disney. I think there should also be the California Walt Disney as well. Great idea. Uh, Daniel Roberts asks the next question. He says, hey, Lou, my first few trips to Walt Disney World were in the very early 1980s. We flew Eastern Airlines. If you had wings, you know, Becky, you could do many things. I distinctly remember listening to Disney movie and TV songs as well as music from the attractions on a seat-accessible radio station. This was very old-school airplane audio, double-pronged, dentist-looking, plastic-ear-pinching headphones, but the sounds were sweet. I loved hearing the sounds of pirates or haunted mansion or small world while flying south over the ocean towards Orlando. My questions for you and your able team follow. Number one, do you recall the Eastern Airlines Disney radio channel? Number two, is there something similar on any airline like JetBlue or Continental that emulates Eastern's wonderful array of Disney sounds? Three, this is a multi-part question. Eastern, in so many ways, seemed to be an ideal corporate partner for Disney. Who is the new ideal corporate partner for Disney? I hope you say Apple or maybe WDW Radio. Uh, the final question is, he goes, I guess I'm nostalgic for a time when the expectation of landing in Orlando was almost surpassed by the journey there. Your loyal fan, Daniel Robert. All right, Becky, first, I think we need to describe what radio is for younger listeners. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Very good point. But of course, I never flew Eastern Airlines. Being from the East Coast or from the West Coast, I didn't have that ability to go on the East Coast. But am I right that it was a channel that you listened to from the armrest in a radio that played Disney music and 
you got basically a hit of, of Disney, Radio Disney, right? Right. Well, Disney was the official airline they uh, above Walt Disney World for about 10 years. Again, also uh, made reference to If You Had Wings, which was not only one of the few free attractions when they used A through E coupon books, but the big joke is that when you exit a Walt Disney World theme park attraction, you are em- emptied out into? A store. Back then, when I was a kid, Becky Mankin, when you exited this free attraction, you were exited into an Eastern Airlines travel agency. That's just wrong. <laughs> so I know you're going, okay, how do I get mouse fan travel into Tomorrowland? But if you think about it, airplane travel in the early 70s was not like it is today. There was no Orbitz or Kayak or Expedia. There was something sort of exotic and adventurous about it. And you saw all these places that Eastern Airlines could take you as they came off the attraction. I start to wonder how many trips were probably actually booked uh, at that Eastern Airlines travel agency. And then when people got home, they said, all right, wait a minute. What did we do? What did we, book a, did we book a trip to South America? Um, so as far as the Eastern Airlines uh, Disney radio channel, I don't specifically remember it myself. Uh, there isn't anything similar on any airlines that, because again, there is no sort of official sponsorship or partnership like that. I think too, Becky, in this age of Wi-Fi connected airplanes and podcasts and on-demand, I love the fact that JetBlue has these... Uh, uh, TVs behind the seats, but there is no Disney specific. And look, we can go into a whole discussion about the old Disney AM radio station that used to play when you got here. You used to pass through the gates, you turn on your radio, and it would tell you about what was coming. It would have Disney music on there and the weather and how late the parks were going to be open, when to see uh, fireworks and whatnot. Look, I would love to see that, as many people I'm sure would come back. Um, what 10.30, I think, was the original AM station that actually at one point used to run at a Cinderella castle. That's where the broadcast was actually coming out of. Uh, when Epcot came online, they had a separate station that was like 810 or 830. Um, but it also told you about things to see and places to go, places to shop. Um, there's that old jingle, I'm going to Disney World, which I'm, I'm not going to sing right now. Although I'm singing it in my mind, maybe I'll just have to play it uh, for the show. But late 90s, maybe about 97 or so, that stopped. Uh, to address your other question about sort of the ideal corporate partner, uh, Apple is my answer. And when I talk to people, when we recapped 2011, I talked about Steve Jobs passing as a potential loss for Disney because I wondered what may have happened had he lasted 10 years longer. That Apple-Disney relationship was starting to grow, I think, a little bit further. Uh, He was the largest shareholder in in Disney. So you wonder how that partnership... Look, because as much as Walt Disney was a storyteller uh, and uh, a forward thinker technology-wise, Steve Jobs was very much like that as well, too. And I think he and Disney uh, would have made a, a great pair as time would have gone on. Right, I agree. Apple is the one that came up, especially for technology, because I think that's where we're going with NextGen and other things with Disney. And however, if I might just suggest something else only because... Of a fact. Don't say mouse fan travel. No, no. Dot com. I was going to, well, okay. I was going to actually say Starbucks or Tully's if you live in Washington because you really need better coffee. That's all I'm saying. Two words. Yeah. Dunkin' Donuts. Donuts. They put Dunkin' Donuts in Walt Disney World. I'll never, not that I leave anyway, but I would really (laughs) never leave. But yeah, um, I'm not a coffee snob, but man, I I do love, America runs on Dunkin' and so should Walt Disney World. (laughs) Good point. Um, And Daniel, I will just, say one thing about your last comment the the idea about um, the journey 
being part of the journey sometimes isn't necessarily better than the destination, but as somebody who drove to Walt Disney World as a kid, every single time we came down, that was very much a part of our Disney experience. That's when it started for us, was when we got, when we finally got into the car after going back in and out because we forgot things. But that journey, those times I spent with my family in the car was absolutely a, a, a very important part of my Disney vacation. All right, let's move on to Rebecca Reeves, who's Becky from the UK, God Save the Queen. He says, Lou, hi, Lou, and hopefully, Becky, I have a food question for you, as I've noticed that you hardly ever talk about food in the parks. <laughs> hey, firstly, though, I'd like to say thank you for all that you do for Disney fans, especially those over the pond in the UK who I know love listening to you to get their Disney fix, and you can magically transport people into the parks with a few words and carefully chosen music, or, Becky, in this case, the sounds of the monorail and the blender here at the outer rim passing overhead. <laughs> anyway, my eagerly anticipated food question is, where in each of the parks can you buy counter-service breakfast using Disney Dining Plan credits that count as meals and not snacks? Wow. Okay, and that changes. So the ones that I know of off the top of my head here could change by the time somebody's listening to this. But I know that um, the Magic Kingdom, Casey's Corner and Main Street Bakery are the two in, in Magic Kingdom. At um, Hollywood Studios, I, is there another one there that I'm missing? Feel free to jump in. At uh, Hollywood Studios, I know Starring Rolls is one of them. But, of course, that's the home of the Butterfinger Cupcake. I just want to throw that out there. Um, at Epcot, I know that Sunshine Seasons is also included for the meal. or the Meals, not snacks. Animal Kingdom, I can't think of. What um, Restaurantosaurus? Okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> As somebody, I'm an annual pass holder, so I don't use the dining yeah. plan. Uh, but, I, but because Restaurantosaurus does serve more than just... You know, muffins and pastries and things like that. Um, certainly over at, what about things like Tusker House, where they have the character breakfast, I would assume is obviously a meal credit and not a snack credit. Right, but they're looking for the counter service breakfast. So the counter, oh, counter service. Okay, yeah. sorry, counter service. So it's not the ones that are the snacks, but the counter service credits that give you the entree and the non-alcoholic beverage, but not the, um, uh, not the full breakfast. So I, I can't, maybe the other one that you're talking about, restaurant service, but not... Um, uh, yeah, so I think it's just Restaurantosaurus probably over yeah. in Animal Kingdom. All right, moving on to New York, New York. Back across the pond, Mike Wagner's question said, Lou, my fiancé and I are planning on taking a Disney cruise for our honeymoon. We're torn between which ship to sail on. The Magic and the Wonder offer longer seven-day cruises but aren't as advanced as the Dream. And obviously now the Fantasy coming online. The Dream only offers three- or four-day cruises, but has all the new technology and experiences that we've been drooling over for the past few months. Since you've been on several Disney cruises, I was wondering if you can give us your opinion on which cruise to take. By the way, we've never been on a cruise before. Mike, you'll be very pleasantly surprised at how they bring that Disney magic out to sea. But anyway, also on a personal question, if you don't mind, I fell in love with Disney World when I was a kid, as it all seemed so incredibly magic to me, but I've only been back to Disney a handful of times since then despite the fact that I'm a huge Disney fan, as I worry that I might stop being as special to me if I visit too often. Ha, 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 I laugh. <laughs> Do you ever feel that way, considering your job forces you be, and he puts that in quotes there so often, love the show, look forward to listening every week on my way to work, keep up the outstanding work, thanks, that's from Mike Wagner from New York. Mike, first things first, I 
firmly believe, especially now being here more often than ever, the more I come, the more my experience is enhanced. My experience changes and has changed over the years. It's no longer about rushing here to ride rides and see attractions and do shows. Yes, I do run to the restaurants, but mostly this has become my park. It's my community park. It's where I come to hang out and see friends. And look, I still learn something new every single time I come here. It's never spoiled for me. My appreciation as I start to peel back those layers of the onion is enhanced. Now, Mike, you talked about the Dream Cruise or the Disney Magic or Wonder uh, versus the number of nights stay. Obviously, we were talking about the fantasy. Now, Becky, having the fantasy offering a seven-night cruise and the Dream being three and four, now it becomes that length of stay versus technology versus destination as to what maybe is most important for you. I love, love, love the dream. I love going to Castaway Key. I think a four-day cruise is a great length of a cruise because, especially if you're a first-time cruiser, Mm -hmm. it's a great way to sort of dip your toe into cruising. I think you're going to love what you see there, but you do get to spend a day at Nassau. You do get to go to Castaway Key. And then if you want to extend for a week, you can spend a couple of days in Walt Disney World. I think that's, for me anyway, that's sort of the perfect mix, especially for a first-time cruiser. Right. For a first-time cruiser, if, if you aren't looking for a seven-night cruise, a four-night cruise is perfect. I don't really subscribe to the three-night cruise suggestions, only because, especially when you have a, a, a ship like the Dream, you need the time, that day at sea, to really explore that ship, because four days you're not going to see everything. But what he's asking here looks like he was not thinking that the dream, or that the fantasy is going to be part of it, because he was trying to weigh the seven-night, having a full seven-night experience on board the ship, to having the dream and its technology. So the good news for him is that the fantasy is about ready to set sail. As a matter of fact, she's on her way, and as of March 31st, she's going to be ready and open for, for guests to book that, that sailing. And that's going to be your perfect mix of the technology you're looking for and the seven-night Caribbean cruise that, that you're looking for as well. Now, not to discount the the, um, the magic and the wonder, who are a whole different type of experience, but still the Disney magic that you're going to expect from a Disney experience. And who knows what kind of itineraries we're going to see from them as we're looking at the three and four and the seven for the Caribbean and the Bahamas for the dream and the fantasy. So there's a lot of wonderful options now available between the four ships and a whole world of possibilities. Absolutely. And again, that's what all these cruises and the, the changing of the destinations, Galveston and New York and, and the West Coast affords you is a lot of different options to choose what that mix is that you like better. Again, huge fan of the new ships. As much as I love the classic vessels, there is something, you're right, that mix of technology. The fantasy and the Muppets detective game, <laughs> it's going to so be awesome. And one thing I do want to say, my biggest number one tip that I can give you or any listener is to book with MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. We know that already. Well, that works. Okay, the number two is that book early. Don't wait. Don't. You might have booked with other cruise lines that you can get deals as you get closer. That is not Disney Cruise Line. The price goes up as you get closer to the sailing because they are so popular. So people are always just shocked that they... Um, have priced something when the itinerary first comes out and then turn around and they're ready to book it six months later and the price shoots up by several hundred dollars a person. So when you know you're ready to go, you're ready to commit, just know you can put down a deposit and most times, not if it's concierge or suites, but most times it is fully refundable up until final payment. So keep that in mind. Make sure you book early to get the best price. And I'm not kidding, but seriously, when you book a cruise, 
there's plenty of information on Disney's website, but this is where a travel provider really can help you out with answering those questions that, you, that may not be answered for you specifically on the Disney Cruise Line. So again, Mouse Fan Travel, you guys will be able to help them out. You can give them a no-obligation quote and answer some of those questions for them. Um, a couple of last quick emails, Becky. The first is from J.R. Schartzer, who said, Hey, Lou, just wondering how you feel about people posting videos of rides on YouTube. If somebody's planning their first trip to the park, do you think watching these videos diminishes the feeling of seeing all the gags and effects for the first time while they're actually experiencing the attraction? Or is it a good way to build excitement? Give them an idea of which rides they may be most interested, which may help with trip planning. Uh, also, how do you feel about videos of non-ride shows? For example, you can watch World of Color and Illuminations. How do you feel about that? It obviously isn't the same thing as seeing it in person, but does it take away from that initial surprise and the wow factor from the first time you see it live? Thanks for putting on such a wonderful show. I appreciate all the hard work that goes into it. I look forward to it every week. And as somebody who lives all the way up in Montana, your podcast gives me the Walt Disney World fix I need when I'm not able to get to the park. JR, I'm going to answer your question um, simply and for me emphatically because, again, it's a personal preference and you can certainly argue it either way. While I do think there are lots of great ways to get excited, to plan for, and to start thinking about your trip, whether it's, um, first thing I would say, I would order the, maybe the vacation planning DVD from Disney, which is sort of a, a good primer. I would buy your guidebook or do stuff online. I specifically, even as often as I come here, I do not, I make it a point not to watch videos of attractions, especially ones I've never seen before. So World of Color, The Castle Show, whatever it might be, I don't want, because you're right, the experience is not going to be the same watching it on YouTube, a grainy, motion-filled video. There, it will never, ever compare to seeing it in person. And when you see World of Color, it literally will take your breath away. And, I, and to a certain degree, you may be underwhelmed by watching it ahead of time. And I, I would have felt that same way probably about the Castle Show here. And you'll be overwhelmed by how breathtaking it is when you get here. Right. I agree with you from those perspectives. You give me a butt, woman, and... But... <laughs> forget but. everything I said about booking no, a mouse. No! <laughs> wait a minute. But there are some practical uses for being able to see it, especially for families who can't go that often, and they, they want to... They, they save for two or three or four years to go on this magical Disney um, experience, then yeah, and they want to actually... Um, see the the things that are coming out that everybody's talking about that might not be here the next time they come that's a possibility but we also use them especially for kids because parents may be a little um a little timid about if their child is going to do well on a on a ride or on an attraction or an experience and to show that child what they're going to experience before they get there and I mean small children, obviously, that really has been a helpful tip for some parents so that they can see it, experience it. They're not going to be scared of it when they actually get there. I, I will tell you, sort of from a, a personal point of view, like when I create videos for the show or the site or the iTunes team, whatever it is, my goal in the videos is not to spoil experience. If anything, it's meant to introduce you to experience and not show you the whole thing. I don't want to take you through everything but I want to sort of connect you to it. I want to maybe introduce you to something that you may not have seen before, but I, I don't think I, I have in the past and probably won't ever sit there and record something new, especially if it's brand new that has come out, and say, this is how I want you to experience it for the right. first time. I might say, hey, I'm here, I'm doing this, I'm trying this out, 
but I want you to either be jazzed up about coming to see it for yourself or say, ah, oh, maybe, you know what, maybe that's not for, so for example, Menahune Adventure Trail right. out in Aulani. I didn't go through the entire thing, but I wanted to show you what that experience was like. And I think that's what hopefully you can do is say, oh, I want to, you look at things that'll get you excited, right. but don't replace the experience for you. And I agree with you wholeheartedly there because I mean, it's just like even with the backstage magic, we, we talked about it, but we didn't reveal any things because we want to make sure that people have that uh, ability to experience that wow factor like we did when you first see it for the first time and your jaw drops to the ground. Same thing with some of the attractions and same things like you said earlier, you're not going to get that really big wow if you're watching it on a small little screen, you need to be there for a lot of these things. So I, I think that there are uses, but in, in practical sense, I'm the same as you. I don't want to see it beforehand. It's just like you hear all the Cars Land stuff going on. I don't want to see it. I want to experience it with my own eyes and, and my own senses. And again, we're, we're talking about us as adults. Right. We're not talking about children. Right. You know, your kids are starting to get excited. They're getting jazzed about coming. By all means, let them see videos. If, they're, if you think they may be scared about something, maybe you can sort of slowly introduce them to it. But we're talking about it from an adult perspective. All right, Becky, we're running long. Shocker of all shockers. <laughs> Let's end off with one more question from my buddy Todd up in Jersey who says, Hey, Lou, I finally have had a reason to step away from the voicemails, step away from the voicemails, <laughs> and send you an email question. After sitting here listening back to some past episodes, hearing both of you with your strong affinity for Dining at the World, I have an opinion question for you both and no lawyer answer Lou. <laughs> Todd dares to ask the question that cannot be answered, which restaurant is your favorite? But he gives us a choice. Todd English's Blue Zoo at the uh, Dolphin or Remy on oh. the Disney Dream. Uh-huh. What puts one over the other for you? Is it the food, the experience, or both? After hearing the gushing reviews for both of these establishments on the show, I am very curious to see whose cuisine reigns supreme. Thanks for everything you do, Todd from Jersey. So, Becky, you were going to question the answer until you heard the second option because I have a feeling that you, you, there is no debate for you. I have a feeling we are going to be on two opposite sides of the spectrum here because, hands down, it's Remy for me. I, I love Blue Zoo. Don't, don't get me wrong. But if I had to choose between one or the other... I would have to go to Remy. That experience, it was the experience. It was it was walking in and getting that cocktail made for you and having that view and and the the, the, the cheese tray that went on forever and and the two dessert courses. I mean, you can't argue with two dessert courses. It's gonna pain me to say that experience for experience, meal for meal. Remy on the Dream was far and away the best meal and experience I have ever had. Ever. And I've eaten at Victorian Alberts. And I will tell you that Blue Zoo changed my life. I wept at Blue Zoo. And Scott and Glenn are sitting here and they're, and they're nodding and, and now they're actually walking towards Blue Zoo. But Blue Zoo, but, so here is the lawyer answer. Oh boy. Because you're not, you, look, you're not asking about two restaurants in Walt Disney World. So if you say, I'm taking my wife out for our anniversary, where do I go? Do I go to, to Blue Zoo or I go to the Disney, do I go to Remy? Because Remy is on a ship and you need to be on the Disney Dream in order to go there. It's, you're doing it, the lawyer answer. It is not a lawyer answer. It is the correct answer. Shut up, woman, listen. It is the correct answer because 
Obviously, Blue Zoo is much more accessible. You don't need to book a, a cruise to eat at Blue Zoo. Right, but it's not accessible that we're talking about here. It's, it is matching or comparing or choosing between the two for experience and or food. And i got to say, between at Remy, between the experience, the nice, long, tons of course after course after course, and the wine pairings. The wine pairings were incredible. And yes, say things like, Alaskan king crab cannoli, remember? Yum. You have all of these wonderful chef-inspired, French-inspired menus, and you have two menus. You can choose one of the chefs, or you can build your own as you go. And everything, the Australian Wagyu, I can never say that correctly, but I just remember how great it was, or the lobster vanilla bisque. Think of these things. Remember how great they were? Come on. And that's why I said that, and of course the company... Remy, that white glove. Sir. Look, we said yeah. when we were there, we did not feel as though we were on a ship. We felt as though we were at, we felt as though we were sort of transported to France. And the comparison I made at the time was to Palo, because I believe that Palo is a phenomenal Disney version of an Italian restaurant, where I think that Remy is an exceptional outstanding French restaurant that happens to be on a Disney ship. I did not feel as though I was on the Disney Dream anymore. I felt as though, partially because I was in a a suit jacket, but I felt as though I had left that experience, that cruise experience behind. The food, it's not the best cruise food I've ever had. It is the best food I've ever had. Now that being said, Blue Zoo, I still stand behind Mm -hmm. as my favorite restaurant. I've gone back again I've had, because I, I wondered if it was an anomaly the first time we had gone. They didn't know we were coming. They didn't do anything special for us until they saw that we were starting to record. Our server was phenomenal. I've gone back again. I've, I've taken you. I've taken my wife finally. And we've had that same experience. We've had the, oh my God, I can't believe that they've brought out this, that they're letting us try this. The chef has done this. Uh, the, the food is exceptional. The service is consistently outstanding. Uh, I love the environment there. So Blue Zoo still remains my number one recommended restaurant in Walt Disney World. But if I had to take a dining experience versus dining experience, Remy wins hands down. And I would I would say that as well if you were asking me to compare Remy to Victorian Alberts. Yeah, I, I would agree. The same wholeheartedly there as well. And yes, if you asked me one or the other, and if I could only eat at one restaurant for the rest of my life, I would have to say Remy. Um, Blue Zoo, of course, I do enjoy, and especially the Bazooka Joe drink, but we'll, we've you know, been there. I'll also, um, I'll, I'll, let me ask you, answer your question this yeah. way. I could eat at Blue Zoo once a month. I would want to eat at Remy once a year. Interesting. That's, well, because, yeah, you know. Because it is that, it's, it's that special of an experience yeah. that you couldn't do, whereas Blue Zoo, it is something new every time. The menu changes seasonally. It's a very, very fresh fish. Um, so, yeah, I, that's how I would end it. I would eat at Blue Zoo every month, possibly every week. I would eat at Remy once a year. Yeah, I, you know what? That's a really fair assessment. You're probably right there. And then, of course, I know going off of the topic slightly, but then you think Paolo and the breads and the, the limoncello. and <laughs> the- Flo's V8 Cafe, sister. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm hungry. This is not fair. But, yeah, I, I totally agree. I I 
Blue Zoo is a wonderful experience. I love, we were talking about this with somebody the other day, I love the presentation. I love that it's it's not the norm. It's things that do surprise you. And all of a sudden you'll see waiters walking through with things that dry ice is like bubbling over in all directions, and that's that's the entree. So there's it, there's a little bit of magical surprise and, and entertainment within the food that's uh, that's served there. But food for food and the Remy, even though you had to dress up. And, and you do kind of polish up nicely. You clean up nice there, Lou. Cape and monocle, baby. Cape and monocle. <laughs> oh, if you, you wait till next time. It, are you going to do that in November? Oh, come on. Cape and monocle. You take, you take me back to Remy, I'll see if I can dig up my cape and monocle <laughs> and my Cavaricis and go there that way. But listen, if you have never tried Bluesa before and you're coming back to Walt Disney World, I give it my highest highest recommendation. Ask for Joe. Joe is our server. He's been our server a couple of times. He's a phenomenal server. So very knowledgeable. Such a friendly, great guy. Ask for Joe. Tell him that you heard about him on the show and go back and listen to our live dining review of Blue Zoo. And of course, if you do get a chance to get on the Disney Dream, maybe with us this coming November 4th to the 8th, baby. No, we're going back again on the WW Radio Cruise Visit www.radiocruise.com for more information. We had such a good time. Lots of surprises in store. We're looking at each other because we've been planning all day today. Lots of stuff coming up for the cruise. We'd love for you to join us there. But again, I'd also love to hear your opinions on either Blue Zoo and or Remy. Uh, and again, too, if you are looking to maybe book your trip to Walt Disney World or Disneyland, Becky Mankin and her incredible team of agents over at mousefantravel.com can help you out. Speaking of help, thank you for helping me go through some of these questions. We have many, many more uh, in the inbox, so if you've sent us a question in the past, I promise, I, if I haven't answered via email, I will get back to you on the show as well. Uh, Becky, thank you so much again. If you have a question you want answered on the show, whether it's about Walt Disney World, Disney Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, or Disneyland, Disney History, whatever it may be, you can email me at lou at www.radio.com, and you can visit Becky over at mousefantravel.com. Becky, thank you again, and once again, of course, it is time to go. I was going to say, should we go to Blue Zoo? <laughs> You know, it's not that far away, and it's ahi tuna. (gasps) Even just appetizers and drinks in the cocktail lounge. I think we should do that. Come on, we're not that far away. We can do this thing. All right, I gotta go. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Thanks again to Becky Menken from MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. Whether you go into Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Adventures by Disney, or if you're joining us on the Disney Dream November 4th through the 8th on the Disney Cruise Line, mousefantravel.com can help plan all your Disney vacation needs. And of course, if you want to come with us on the cruise in the Disney Dream, visit www.radiocruise.com. Don't forget that this Saturday, February 11th, is the official fifth anniversary of WDW Radio. It's actually the day that I broadcast my first episode of the new show. And we want you to be a part of our fifth anniversary celebration. We're going to be broadcasting our five-hour Magic Kingdom adventure live starting at 10 a.m. over at WDWRadioLive.com. You can watch as we sort of complete tasks that you guys chose for us and a few roadblocks that we don't even know about as yet. During that day, we're also going to announce the winner of our WDW Radio Ultimate Trivia Contest and the winner of the six-night Walt Disney World vacation for four, including tickets and dining, courtesy of Mouse Fan Travel. 
Also, don't forget that we still have limited edition five-year pins still available. And also know that the proceeds benefit the Dream Team Project, which raises money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. So your help and donations there by purchasing a pin are greatly appreciated and will go to benefit children through the Make-A-Wish Project of America. If you're going to be in Walt Disney World on February 11th, you can join us for our Meet of the Month and little anniversary party over at Baby Cakes NYC in downtown Disney from 4.30 to 6 p.m. You can come by, meet some new friends, and join us as we celebrate. Everybody is invited, even if you've never been to a meet before. And thanks to our friends over at Baby Cakes, everybody who attends is also going to get a complimentary dessert. Here's the catch. You must have a free ticket to get your dessert by visiting wdwradio.com slash five, the number five. There you can register, print out your ticket, bring it with you to the meet, and get a complimentary dessert courtesy of Baby Cakes. And of course, on Saturday, I'm going to have a few surprises and a very, very big, huge announcement that I'm going to make during the broadcast as well. So please come by, tune in, and be part of the celebration, whether it's online or in person. Again, visit www.radio.com slash the number five for more information. And thank you again for what has been an amazing, incredible five-year journey for me. Don't forget to also come by and visit the website. You can comment on this week's show. Also check out our blog. We've got lots of blog posts from a number of different contributors every day, as well as contests, photos, vintage pictures, and lots more. You can also be part of the show by calling the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. Or if you have a question you want answered on the show, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. In addition to the podcast, please come by and check out our weekly live video broadcast and chat every Wednesday night starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern over at WDW Radio Live. We start off by broadcasting a little bit about this week's Walt Disney World news in our WDW newscast and then stay on for a while more just talking about Disney. Normally, I'm broadcasting from the parks. It's a great way to get connected, meet some other friends, and, and chat about Disney in the chat room as well. You can also come by our discussion forums, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Mangello, or you can follow me over on Twitter. I'm at Mangello as well. A couple of last-minute quick reminders. If you want to get a little bit of Disney magic brought right to you at home or at work, you can come by, subscribe to Celebrations Magazine, or order back issues over at celebrationspress.com. If you visit the shop over at www.radio.com, you can still get copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books, my audio tours of Walt Disney World, and more. Big thanks to my partners and sponsors again, MouseFanTravel.com for all your vacation planning needs. All-Star Vacation Homes has more than 150 homes within just a couple of miles of Walt Disney World with private pools, spas, games, multiple master bedrooms, and more. You can visit them over at AllStarVacationHomes.com. And if you want to stay right in the heart of Walt Disney World, the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin is one of my favorite places to stay. I love the restaurants like Blue Zoo and Shula's, the lounges, the Mandara Spa, and of course the oh-so-incredibly comfortable heavenly beds. You can visit them over at swananddolphin.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tell your friends. Tweet out that you're listening. Share your favorite links on Facebook, Google+, or your favorite discussion forums. And please come by, rate and review the show over in iTunes, And I hope that you wake up every day and do something that you love. And if not, use that day to start making a way to a better tomorrow. And always, 
always keep moving forward. Thank you again so very much for letting me share my passion for Disney with you. So until next time, I hope you have a great week, everybody. See ya. Hey, Lou, this is Donna, your number one fan in Hawaii. Although only for another couple days, I'll be leaving the island for good the end of January. But I did talk my husband into two nights at Aulani, so I finally get to stay there, not just go visit people that are staying there. Um, just calling to let you know, I've loved the last couple shows you've done. Um, I thought it was really great that I kind of indirectly made your year in review show when you talked about how much you loved the Ahi Pokey that I brought you when you were at Aulani and um, love the show with Jim Corcus. Everything you do with him is just gold. I love Jim Corcus and love his book and everything about him. The, um, the review show that you did for the marathon was really great. It's got me really pumped up for the Princess Hack Marathon the end of February when I'll be down in Walt Disney World. And, um, and then this last week's show about all of the lounges is really great because uh, when I come down for the Princess Half Marathon, I'll be down with two other friends, and we're going to hit some of those bars that you showcased in your last show. So just wanted to let you know, a great show. Keep up the good work. We love you, and I'll see you the end of February. Aloha. Hi, Lou. It's Gary from Columbus, Colin. Long time no talk. I uh, wanted to get back to you and say thank you in your most recent episode on the discussion of lounges for getting a shout-out to the Gurgling Suitcase. The uh, Old Key West is our home resort and um, obviously has a special place in our heart, and it was just nice to hear that. Um, Gurgling Suitcase is just kind of a little hole in the wall, but it's a special hole in the wall for my family and I. And uh, I would love to sometime here maybe go over there with Jim Quarkus or somebody and do a DSI. Uh, Old Key West is the, as you're well aware, the original DVC resort, originally known as uh, Vacation Club before they named it Old Key West. And I remember, well, some 20 years ago, going with my family, and uh, I was just a college kid still at that stage, and uh, them talking to the Disney agents and signing up over at the old Commodore house, which doesn't even exist there anymore. There's been some changes over the years, but great place, special place, and... Uh, Nice to hear about it. So, thanks for that. Take care, Lou. Hey, Lou. How you doing? This is Randy in Shawnee, Kansas. Yeah, I just want to let you know that I'm actually sitting right in front of the castle at Disneyland, and I just got done pay, making a payment for a visit I'm taking at Disney World in February. Um, I just thought that was going to be kind of cool to make my payment for Disney World as I'm sitting in Disneyland. Anyway, love your show. Have a great day. Thank you very much for everything you do. Uh, bye-bye. Hi, Lou. This is Carl. Um, I just listened to the newest episode they put up, and, and the question of a Disney Classic Land came up, and uh, I was listening to it in the car, and uh, I was thinking, why not do it as a D23 uh, activity at, like, the next convention? Because from the videos I've seen, like, on YouTube or from you or other places, they always show like you know the Imagineering aspect or uh, the uh, the all of the uh, newest ship after that moment. So I was thinking, why not if they do something like they do Horizon, but as like a walkthrough. So 
so people can go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Or even with, uh, uh, what's the other ride that I just remember? I can't remember now. Um, 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 oh, Imagination. Journey into Imagination. I think that would be great if they did, like, a walkthrough aspect at the DH23 uh, convention, along with, like, uh, the original Imagine work. So people like, maybe like you, me, uh, listeners of WDW Radio, or the nostalgic uh, can just go to and just go, yeah, these were the memories. And, you know, do it periodically. You know, not have it every year at D23, or if they do it, have one attraction per convention. Like, one year it's Imagination, next year it's Horizon, etc. Or, etc., etc. Just basic stuff like that. Uh, I also really do enjoy the show. You help me get through my uh, Disney craves uh, <laughs> up here in the cold of uh, Massachusetts. Alright, I'll talk to you later. Bye. You've got a friend.